Hello and welcome to the Calvary Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Whether you're listening from across the street or around the world, we pray this message will encourage you, build your faith, and bless your life. Well, welcome again to Calvary. My name is Benny Ferguson. Get to serve here as one of the pastors, whether you're in the room or joining us online through Facebook, YouTube. Uh, So glad that you're with us. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. You know, the older I get, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas keeps getting shorter and shorter, right? (laughs) Can you guys relate? And I seem to be getting busier and busier too with every passing year. You know, there is so much demands on us, right? We've got presents to buy for family and coworkers. We've got Christmas decorations to put up. Uh, There's some last minute things that we need to tie up at work. We've got work parties and school parties. We've got to prepare the house for a company that's coming in for the holidays. Uh, And then we can't forget about January because before you know it, it's going to be January. We need our ducks in a row and that always sneaks up on us. But the pressure is not decreasing, it's increasing it seems. So much weight so much pressure, so much to do. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can be so busy doing Christmas things, Christmas stuff, that I forget to slow down, to pause, and to reflect and meditate on the real reason for Christmas. And so I've been really trying intentionally to to slow down and in my quiet time with the Lord, just reflect on the fact that the King of Heaven, Jesus, came and dwelt among us. He came and he visited humanity, visited mankind. But you know what? He didn't just visit us. He came to redeem us and to bring us freedom and new life and new hope. See, we are hardwired for closeness with our Maker. See, every person, whether you're here in the room, watching online, old, young, anywhere in between, every single person is made, is created in the image of the creator, of God himself. And there's a special and unique relationship between the creation and the creator. A creator loves his creation. Let me talk about that for a minute. I think about some of the things over the years that uh, I've made or built or developed. Um, You know, for for example, a sermon, right? Uh, uh, It takes hours and hours to prepare a sermon every week. And I put a lot of effort and energy. I'm really invested in developing and and, uh, creating and writing sermons. So I cherish it, right? Because I've spent a lot of time and effort, A few years ago, um, we had this upright piano that we kind of stripped and took apart, and the keyboard part of that piano, I said, hey, what do you want to do with this, Kel? And uh, she said, I know. How about you make a coffee table for our living room for our our house? I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I really want to make her happy, because happy wife, happy life, right? So, (laughs) So I made a coffee table. Um, and it took me quite a while to do it, you know. Uh, after work, I'd get home and work on it for a few weeks, and I finally put it together. But I can tell you, because I made it, because I created it, that is my favorite piece of furniture in our house. I cherish it. I value that piece more than any other piece in our home. 
right? Some of you, you've created things. You've built a house. You've written a book. You've made a dress. Whatever it might be, you, you've uh, personally created something. You've invested something. And, and there's a higher level of love and care for those things that you have created and made. Well, God didn't just make a table. He made people. He made you and me. And he created us with the intention of having a special relationship, creator and creation. There's a special relationship between us and him. As our creator, he loves us. He loves us. In fact, just say that with me, would you? He loves us. He loves us. Yes, he does. He really loves us. About 13 or 14 years ago, there was a song that took the church world by storm and it declared that, that reality that he really does love us. The chorus goes, he loves us, oh how he loves us, oh how he loves us, oh how he loves Pretty simple chorus. Uh, the verses are a lot more wordy, uh, but it's a great song. And, and um, there, there's a, a, a line in that song that was a little controversial. It starts with, heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. That's literally a song, a, a line in a worship song. Pretty dramatic if you ask me, right? Sloppy wet kiss, right? In fact, some, some they kind of reworked it and they, they changed the word to heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. Maybe that's how you grew up singing that song. But whichever version is your favorite, here's what we know about the three first words of that line, when heaven meets earth. It is powerful. It is profound to think that heaven came down and met earth. Heaven meets earth. And this month, we're going to be studying, we're going to be uh, looking at the theme of heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. And really, that's what Christmas is all about. Celebrating the joyous event, the advent, the first coming, the arrival of Jesus when heaven met earth. That's what the birth of Jesus did. The birth of Jesus brought heaven down to earth. Let's read about it. Matthew chapter 1, let's pick it up at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, meaning before they did marriage things, uh, she was found to be with child, not from another guy, but from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Jesus. Jesus. You know, Jesus is the only baby, he's the only infant that I can think of that technically named himself. <laughs> right? Before Christmas, 
Jesus had already had his name picked out. Have you ever thought about that? He sent an angel to Mary and Joseph to tell them what his name was to be. And his name is Jesus. Now, Jesus means the Lord saves. He saves. And that's why Jesus came. He was born at Christmas time to save us and redeem us, reclaim us back to God. He created us to dwell with us and among us. But unfortunately, sin got in the way. Sin separated us from him. There was actually another collision when heaven met earth 4,000 years before the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Before Christmas, 4,000 years ago, heaven met earth when God created this perfect place called the Garden of Eden for Adam and Eve. It was a perfect place where they could dwell with their perfect creator. But unfortunately, Adam and Eve, they messed it all up. Right? Eve, she listened to the slimy, slippery serpent as it came and tempted her and and its words ever so smooth and hypnotizing and tantalizing. And foolishly, Adam and Eve fell for the deception from Satan the serpent. And that sin forfeited their heaven on earth. Let's look at it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. After the fall, this is what happened. Therefore, the Lord God sent Adam out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were no longer allowed admission into the perfect Garden of Eden. Their heaven on earth was gone because of sin. The creation left the creator. But the creator never left his creation. I just love that. You know, scripture says that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. When we are faithless, he always remains faithful. And even though we humans messed it all up, God came up with both a short-term plan and a long-term plan to bring back heaven on earth. Now, last week, we studied how God called Abram. Abraham and his son Isaac, his son Jacob, and he was going to make a great nation through these patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And eventually through the line and lineage of them would come the Messiah. But before the coming Messiah, before his arrival, God had a short-term plan. He downloaded the law to Moses, you may remember, and that law served as a way to try and recapture that relationship that was lost between God and man. And now, it wasn't the same as it was with Adam and Eve in the garden, but God, he did make a way for there to be forgiveness of sin and requirements for worship and relationship and sacrifice. He even gave a little glimpse of heaven on earth through the tabernacle. 
God commissioned Moses to build a tabernacle after they left Egypt and were rescued from slavery and they were on their way to the promised land in the wilderness. God commissioned Moses to build and make a tabernacle so that there could be a meeting place for God to come and dwell among his people. We read about it in Exodus chapter 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In that moment, God visited the earth again. A little bit of heaven was brought to earth. And it foreshadowed today, we can say this, when God's spirit would one day forever live within us as believers, his people. Several hundred years later after this event, after Israel had settled into the promised land, uh, we had the time of the judges, then Saul was the first king, and then came along David. David's son Solomon is now the king, and Solomon, he builds a permanent structure because there's now no more need for a portable tent or tabernacle, and so he builds a permanent structure, the temple of the Lord. And as he builds that and commissions that temple to be used for the Lord's service, once again, heaven meets earth with the glory of God. We read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. So just like the physical presence of God descended into the tabernacle back in Moses' day, it descends now into the temple in Solomon's day. And it was so incredible that the priests couldn't enter it, just like Moses couldn't enter the tabernacle. God sent a little bit of heaven on earth. But all the laws, all the checklists, all the rules and regulations of the tabernacle, of the temple, all of that was just a temporary fix. The system of sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin was good, but the people's hearts would eventually and inevitably turn away from the one true God and they would stray, they would wander, and they would worship other gods, false idols. They needed God's long-range plan to come soon so that they could recapture that closeness, that, that communion that Adam and Eve once had in the garden. The world was so desperate for heaven to come and meet earth once again. It was without hope. And that snake, that deceiver, Satan, kept trying to stop that master plan. If you were here last week, we talked about how Satan hates the ethnicity of the Jewish people. He hates the nation of Israel. He hates the people of Israel. In fact, he moved on Pharaoh's heart years ago when they were in Egypt. He moved on Pharaoh to have all of the baby boys of Israel slaughtered. Now, miraculously, Moses was spared and ironically, he actually grew up in Pharaoh's house. A few hundred years later, Satan moves on Haman's heart. 
And Haman, he, he gets the king to make a decree that they are going to eradicate the entire Jewish ethnicity. You may remember, that's when Esther was queen. She was at the right place at the right time. That's where we get the scripture. Hey, perhaps the Lord has put you here, Esther, for such a time as this. Once again, the Jewish people are saved. Jeremiah, he prophesied that when the Messiah is born, that there's going to be a great slaughter. And sure enough, Matthew 2 records that. When Jesus is born, Herod has... All the baby boys, age two and under, killed, executed. Of course, he didn't get Jesus. But how many of you know that no thing, no person can stop God's plan? If God decides something is going to happen, it's going to happen. Satan can't stop it. Pharaoh can't stop it. Haman can't stop it. Herod can't stop it. If he decrees it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, at his first coming, at Christmas, Jesus, he fulfills literally hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. Check out this one prophecy from the book of Micah. By the way, Micah is in your Bible reading for this week for your soap. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So this is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Micah, he prophesied of one who is to come, yet already exists from ancient times. And then he goes on and he predicts the precise location, Bethlehem. Specifically, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, you might be asking, well, why did Micah feel the need to add in Ephrathah? Why Bethlehem Ephrathah? Well, when he wrote this, there was more than one Bethlehem. Now, I was born in the state of Oklahoma. I'm an Okie. And uh, when we were seven, we moved from Oklahoma to Missouri. And so I claim uh, Springfield as my home. I went to school there, went to college there. Now, here's the thing about Springfield. There are a lot of places in the United States called Springfield. There's dozens of them, right? So my Springfield might be different than your Springfield. Well, for Micah, the addition of Ephrathah is significant. It specifies that this Bethlehem was the one that was in Judah, and Bethlehem was considered little. It was considered insignificant. You know, thus the song that we know, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. It's a little town. Yet that small, insignificant town would serve as the birthplace of this future ruler, Jesus Christ. Let's read about this in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Okay, He had to get all of his tax money in, so he had to, to get everybody registered so he could get his tax revenue. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. We'll stop there. I want us to think of all the circumstances that had to fall into place for Mary and Joseph to give birth to Jesus in a small country town, Bethlehem. And we're talking like real small, guys. Frederick County, I kind of looked up some some towns, and there's a town just south of where we live in Middletown called Burkittsville. Anybody know where Burkittsville, Maryland is? I mean, it is a one-stop sign little town. That's like Bethlehem. Now, 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet named Micah, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, accurately predicts that the Messiah would be born in a small country town called Bethlehem. Now, I want you to try to wrap your mind around that. Try uh, uh, predicting in 700 years from now, so in 2723, a Messiah would be born in a small country town, say, like Burkittsville. It's so improbable, it's, it's incredible. In fact, Joseph and Mary, we just read, they did not even live in Bethlehem. They lived in Nazareth. So for Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, a government leader would have had to mandate a census where people from all over would have to go back to their hometown, check in, register to be counted, and the timing of that census would have to be such that that Mary would be about to give birth to Jesus, her baby, and the earthly father, by the way, would have to be of the lineage and the line of King David who lived 1,000 years earlier. The only explanation, the only way to make sense of all of these events is that it had to be supernatural. This had to be divinely orchestrated by Almighty God. Listen, that tells us that God's love for his people is incredible, so much so that he would pull all of those strings to make it happen, to get heaven to meet earth. And in that moment, when Jesus was born, heaven indeed met earth once again. Messiah put on human flesh to come right where we were at. John, the beloved disciple, he put it like this in chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now remember, we talked about the tabernacle, we talked about the temple, and how the glory of God filled those places, uh, so much so that they couldn't even stand there. They couldn't even walk into the room there. It was too much. It was too overwhelming for the priests, too overwhelming for Moses. But now, this time, as heaven meets earth, We can all behold him. We all have seen his glory full of grace and truth because he has put on flesh. Fully God, yes, but also fully man. Now, if you have your your copy of God's word, maybe you want to highlight or underline this word dwelt. Underline the word dwelt. In Greek, guess what dwelt means? It means tabernacled. 
or to pitch a tent. It's a verb, dwelt, tabernacle. Remember the Old Testament tabernacle, how it was God sending his glory, sending his presence. Jesus is now the new and better tabernacle that God sent. Jesus dwelt, tabernacled among his people, his glory, his presence, now available, now accessible to anyone who believes in him. In Christ, God came to meet with his people, and through Christ, we come to meet with God. We now dwell. We now tabernacle. We now get to meet with God. Now, amen. Before this, before Christmas, it was laws, it was rules, it was regulations, it was requirements for worship and sacrifices to to temporarily cover people's sins. But the blood sacrifices of animals would be insufficient. We needed a better, more permanent, all-encompassing solution for our sin. So the word became flesh. Heaven meets earth. I love this about Jesus. Instead of staying far away and distant, he gets up close and personal. This is one of the many things that sets apart the Christian faith from all the other false religions of the world. Only in Christianity does God become human. In other religions, God keeps his distance. You keep over there, people. You're not good enough to approach me. You stay over there, and I'll stay over here. But not our God. Our God, in fact, he didn't just send a letter He didn't just send send a representative. He actually became one of us. That's pretty amazing. He wasn't afraid to get into the middle of our messed up world. I read a story about a a grandfather who was visiting his grandson at Christmas time. And his, this was his favorite grandson. This was Charlie. And so he was wanting to play with him. And so he walks into Charlie's room and he finds Charlie in his playpen all sad. His face was red because he had been crying, tears streaming down his face. And you might be asking why. Well, that's because he made some bad decisions. So mom had to put him in timeout. Mom had to take him and put him in the playpen. And now you think about what you've done, little Charlie. Well, as Grandpa comes by, he hears his little grandson saying, Papa, out. And he sees him motioning, Papa, out. And so he lovingly picks up his grandson and rescues him from captivity in that playpen. And then again, Mom walks by. And says, uh-uh, grandfather, he is in timeout. You put him back in that playpen. So she put him right back in the playpen for timeout. And, and the grandfather, he didn't know what to do because he wanted to honor his daughter's parenting methods and all of that. But yet, he's a granddad hearing the cries of his grandson. What is he supposed to do as he's standing there? So he reasoned in his mind, well, if I can't get him out of the crib... I'll get in the crib. Come on, somebody. Any grandparents like that here today? Yeah. 
That's a strong grandparent play right there, I can tell you that. But that's a, a pretty good picture of what Jesus did for us. He climbed into our mess. He got in the middle of our messed up world. 4,000 years earlier, Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. And everyone since then has been born into sin. I was born into sin. You were born into sin. Every single one of us born into sin. And sin, unless dealt with, has a penalty. And that penalty is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God. So... Jesus stepped into our crib. He stepped into our world. That's why Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Sometimes I've wondered, why did God have to come as a human? Why did he have to put on flesh? Why couldn't he just come down as a spirit, hang out with us, uh, maybe set up shop, teach us, we get to learn more about him, listen to him, and he could set things right, set things straight, but he wouldn't have to put on flesh. Well, God became flesh because he became the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Amen. Scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And when a baby is born, you're not supposed to think about the day that that baby is going to die. But yet when we think of young baby Jesus, we inevitably, our mind goes to that moment. The reason why he was born was to die. To die for the sins of all humankind. Christmas happened when, Christmas happened when heaven met earth so that 33 years later, Jesus would die for us. God became human so that he could take our sin. And we're not just talking about the little sins here and there, the little mistakes that happen now and then. We're talking about all of our sin, the darkest, the worst, the most horrible sins we could ever commit. He took it all for us. Earlier in John chapter 1, he writes this, Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become family, the right to become children of God. Some of the very people that Jesus came for rejected him. Remember, he came through the Jewish ethnicity. He came through the Jewish lineage. And most of the Jews would not even receive him. In their mind, Jesus didn't fit what they were looking for. But I'm so glad he didn't come just for Jewish people. He came to everyone, anyone who would believe in him. And when we do believe in him, when we follow him, God makes us part of his family. We get to be his son, his daughter. Without heaven coming to earth, without Jesus giving his life, we'd be lost forever in our hopeless, helpless state. We'd forever be in bondage, slaves to sin. Paul explained it like this in Galatians chapter 4. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than the slaves until they grow up even though they actually own everything their father had. 
They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, Boy, that's a good word. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, Papa, Dad. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Boy, that is a rich passage of scripture right there. We're not outcasts, we're family. We're not rejects, we're not slaves, we're family. Believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior makes you a son, makes you a daughter of God. You are a king's kid. You are heir to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. It's good news. All because Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life because it would take a perfect, sinless sacrifice, died, rose again, it all reversed the curse from way back in the Garden of Eden, and it opened the opportunity to get back in right relationship with Abba Father. Adam and Eve messed it all up, but God never, never gave up. He always wanted to be family with us. So that's why the Word became flesh. And if you believe in Him, you're family. No longer a slave, but family. Listen, Jesus came to be part of our earthly family so that we could become part of his heavenly family. Some people say that Christmas is all about family, and, it, and it's kind of a cliche, but when we bring Jesus into the picture, that really is the case. Christmas is all about family. God becoming part of our human family so that we could become part of his heavenly family. When we couldn't get to him, he got to us. Aren't you thankful for that today, church? Amen. Let's give up God praise that we are now sons and daughters, heirs to the kingdom of heaven, family with almighty God. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. We hope today's message was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, please visit calvarymd.com and fill out the connection card in our website. We'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. We'll see you right back here next week.